This podcast is brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the ASCO Foundation. Our mission is to accelerate breakthroughs in life-saving cancer research and empower people everywhere to conquer cancer. You can help by donating at conquer.org forward slash podcast. Welcome to Your Stories, a podcast where we hear candid stories from people conquering cancer. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Lewis. Our guest today is Mark Crafts, and if you followed Conquer Cancer, you may already know his story. He was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer in October 2017 when he was 54 years old. And despite the years of treatment, Mark, an avid cyclist, keeps on rolling for himself, for his family, and for the countless people he's helping by sharing his story and raising money for cancer research. Mark, such an honor to meet you. Wow, Dr. Lewis, thank you. Uh, hearing that playback and introduction, it really is moving. And sometimes I have to pause myself and think, this has been four years and three months. I can't believe it. Can't believe I'm here. And uh, I am just so grateful for this opportunity. And I think I've followed you over social media. I know how involved you are with Conquer. So I couldn't be more thrilled to be here. And I think we're going to do something special here and sharing some hope. And I know you live in the world of cancer day in and day out and know how dire things can be. But I think today we'll talk about a story of hope that will hopefully inspire a lot of other folks. Oh, well, thank you so much for saying that. There's a lot to dig into there. One thing I, I think our audience should know is that almost every oncologist I know, perhaps every oncologist I know, is an optimist. I think we enter the field brimming with hope, hoping that we can help people, hoping that we can do better for people in the here and now and in the future than we have seen patients experience in the past. And really, it is narratives like yours that inspire us, Mark. And I also want to let you know, I, I know we're going to need some disambiguation for the purposes of this conversation. I want you to call me, Mark. We are we are equals. And I know it might be a little, again, uh, perplexing for the audience, but our voices sound different enough that I think we can disambiguate. I'll start with what I realize might be a sensitive question. Now, you mentioned kind of the milestones that you've already hit and, and your experience really is incredible to share and to hear. Do you mind telling us how did you discover that you had cancer? No problem at all. As far as finding out, I, we had had a tough 2017. I was thinking about this uh, this morning. Six months before I was diagnosed, we lost my mom to pancreatic cancer. When they found something with her, they said, Eileen, we've spotted something on your pancreas. And at 88 years old, she said, good for you, and declined to forego treatment at that age. And just showed us as a family the dignity that can be had. So there's so much going on in the family. We had the loss. Meanwhile, work was you know burning, bubbling over like typical high-tech industry. So there's always something to do, a trip to take, deadline to meet, and so forth. And I was getting ready for a bike ride in September with Salesforce, with the uh, bike MS effort that they do every year. So I was trying to bike. I was trying to deal with the family grief. I was trying to keep up with work. And all the while, I just felt like hell. I mean, I was trying to get ready for this bike ride and my body wouldn't respond. I couldn't get things to, you know, I'd go out, I'd do my miles and just could not get out of, out of first gear in my physical state. And things like back pain were amplified, knee issues. I just realized something's wrong here and I can't blame the grief. I can't blame 
the busyness of life. I, you know, I really need to get after this. So one thing I'll just call out at the top of this conversation is don't be like me. I delayed. I didn't get the colonoscopy at 50. I was 54. So I waited four years until I went in there with symptoms. And this was really where the, the bell rang for me. I was out on the bike ride, the bike MS ride with Salesforce. And it was, I think, clocked at like an 80-mile route, something like that. And at mile like 72, 73, it was a cool route because it started down by San Francisco. And then it came up through Sonoma County and literally finished a few miles from my house. So I'm approaching my hometown and I started to cramp up. And yet I knew from my exercise that if I was drinking the electrolyte drinks like the Gatorades or the bug juices that they give you along those rides, the chances of cramping are so low. Like I could drink that stuff all day and go for miles and miles and miles. Not fast, but I could get there and I would not cramp up. So for me to like be within five miles of my house and all of a sudden have my legs cramp up, I thought that's the bell that's ringing for me. I got to get off this bike and tomorrow morning I'm calling my doctor. And I did. And I subsequently went in. They told me this is really serious. Coming out of the colonoscopy, my doctor put his hand on uh, my shoulder and said, we found something. And do you want to tell your wife or should we? Oh, gosh. So that's kind of how it unfolded. And then it was just a luge ride from there to the chemo chair, 20 days. So determined that within the colonoscopy that we had the issue, they took the five or six days to do the, the biopsy study and then come back with the, the word that you have it and that it is truly cancerous. And then you live, I guess, as a patient. I, I realize everybody goes through this like I did, which is there's probably like two weeks of your life where you're just a dial tone. You don't know which way is up and you don't know how bad you have it. You don't know how serious you have it. And within that two weeks, you have a lot of soul searching to do about how you tell family and friends and how you're going to take on the battle. And it was very clear to me I had a battle ahead. I think that's when I started to make choices as to how I would handle it. I want to tell you, I literally, without violating anyone's privacy, saw a new patient in clinic yesterday who, like you, was, I think, honestly, too hard on himself that he had waited to get his colonoscopy. And it seems like, you know, just another thing to check off the to-do list in terms of screening. Obviously, for some people, as you pointed out, it can be a, a life-saving intervention and it can prevent. If we can catch these things early enough at the pop level, it can prevent the development of cancer. But you know, that doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. And I just appreciate you raising you know, awareness. In the last year, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force actually now recommends everyone get screened to age 45 because we've realized even in young, healthy people like you, and you sound astoundingly fit and attuned to your body, which is only to your benefit, you know, we're seeing younger and younger patients affected by colorectal cancer. And that was compelling enough over a long period of time and with enough people studied uh, they moved the age of screening down to 45. But no, thank you for what you're doing. Because again, by speaking up, I honestly believe you're saving lives and you're encouraging people to get screened and screening leads, as you know, to, to earlier detection. Well, thank you. I've had a lot of time to think about it. I talked to Dr. Marsland, who's my initial oncologist. He's just a wonderful guy. And he's actually on the board of Conquer Cancer. Like three years ago, he told me, well, we're kind of in middle innings right now. And it just stuck with me like, oh. And then I thought, well, I'm not playing the nine. I'm, I'm playing as far as I can go and until they turn the lights off. So many people, when they're first diagnosed, and maybe this happened to you too, 
understandably, the only thing they can rely upon because they haven't yet experienced it themselves is statistics. But so many of the statistics that we cite, Mark, are medians, meaning they have a bell curve distribution. And what I tell folks is, listen, these numbers only take you so far. They tell you kind of the middle. They don't show you the long tail that can be beyond that middle. And I know that you're living, like you say, in those extra innings, but it sounds like, man, you're making the most of them. What you just said really resonates with me. I I do think that uh, as we joke, you know, Dr. Marsland has joked with me about the innings. He's also been someone to bring forth the power of the statistics and the impact on the, the mental state of the patient. And for me, I do think that I've responded well to what my doctors have told me about what they see. We want patients to feel empowered. On the other hand, it is really almost eerie, Mark, if I can tell you that I have seen people almost lose that volition, that will to live. And this is actually the reason I don't put too much emphasis on these statistics. There's one gentleman that sticks in my mind. Now, you mentioned your mother with the pancreas cancer. I'm sorry. She sounds like an amazing, amazing woman. I don't have a favorite cancer, but my least favorite might actually be pancreatic. And uh, I had a, a gentleman with pancreas cancer who just passed actually at the beginning of this year. And he had really tried to pin me down, really tried to pin me down at his prognosis. And I told him, okay, if you want a number, I'm going to tell you the number, but this is informed by the literature. This is not you. And I told him the median survival was a year and a half. And I kid you not, he lived almost to the day, 18 months from when I told him that. And I, I was like, how much was this a self-fulfilling prophecy? And so that's why I think doctors, we need to be a little bit careful if we're, if we're again, pretending like we know the exact date that someone is going to expire. I looked at it the other way, which was the other half of that is there are just as many people who are here today that should not be based upon prognosis. And I said, that's my camp. I'm with those people. Early on, I said, that's where I'm going. And I've just grabbed onto that and held on to that. And I do think that plays into just my makeup as an individual. I have that attitude, but I have three things that really differentiate me from most other cancer patients I've encountered. And I always say I am the most fortunate, most grateful cancer patient you'll ever run into because of these three things. And the first one is this support network. We called it early on Team Crafty, but it's family, it's friends, it's acquaintances, it's fellow cancer patients, it's my medical experts, it's my extended global network through the company Salesforce, which is this worldwide footprint of friends and customers and colleagues, and everyone is pulled together and everyone is, is part of the team that supports me. That's a key tool in my, in my case. And uh, the second is my experts at UCSF. I work with some of the best professionals in the world, three of whom are Conquer Cancer Merit Award winners, by the way. And I just think the world of them, and I know I'm at ground zero with respect to cancer breakthroughs and cancer research. So that's number two. And then hand in hand with that is my access to that healthcare through this incredible benefits program that I have through my employer. So, you know, I've got the support, I've got the expertise, and I've got access to the expertise. And that differentiates me. And I thought, I've got all those things going for me, and I've got a kind of a can do attitude. I'm going to give it the best shot I can, and I'm just going to be the loud mouth that I am. So when they said, you got a plank to walk, we don't know how long it's going to gonna be, but go for it and we'll do the best we can. And I've turned that plank into what I call Cancer Mountain now. So I just envision that I'm, you know, on this long path that goes 
up and up and up and up as we go through chemo, radiation, surgery, clinical trials. Well, gosh, the team crafty sounds like one powerful squad. I love that. And if we're going to talk about baseball, I mean, I, I think there are even shades of, of Lou Gehrig in you being so gracious as to say that you feel fortunate, you know, in a medical condition that, you know, let's be honest, you wouldn't have chosen, but you're clearly making the most of it. And I, I so admire that your optimism is, is truly, truly inspiring, Mark. All due respect to Lou Gehrig. I love him. And, and uh, gosh, pride of the Yankees, you know, who could forget that? But I grew up in New York and the worldwide colors for Conquer Cancer and World Cancer Day, obviously Conquer is orange, which we've dubbed now orange power that we like to share with other people. And then blue, orange and blue are the worldwide colors of World Cancer Day. So being from New York, I was kind of predestined for this with my New York Mets. I have to say, I love how you bring other parts of your identity into being a patient. What I mean by that, there's a couple of things. One of which is, as oncologists, we are sometimes so guilty, if I'm honest, of focusing on the tumor and actually forgetting about the person. And again, that's a really dispassionate thing to do. It, it's partly it's probably because there's so much data that we generate, like we're measuring things on scans and we're checking your labs. And I'm sure at this point you have been tested umpteen times. But what you've done here quite beautifully is sort of fill out your persona as more than just having this cancer. So this is one aspect I was really interested to talk to you about. Music is very, very important to me. Sometimes if I'm very honest, and I'm not ashamed to admit this, I come in here at the end of a long clinic day, I'm emotionally exhausted, I put on Coldplay and I, and I cry, you know? But they're a very emotional band, and sometimes I need to tap into that. So tell me, what does music do for you? It's magic. I'm glad you brought it up. I know we talk about cycling, and we brought you know, the kind of that keep rolling phrase into just our kind of battle cry for what we do. But music is uh, so powerful for me. I take it with me on treatments, and it's a way for me to think back, put myself in a different place mentally, and to go to different places in my life different people. And uh, as you talk about Coldplay, I won't hold it against you. And I think I might have a Coldplay tune or two on my 40-hour chemo session jam playlist that I've compiled over the, the four years. It's like a week of music. It's got everything. And it's got a lot of spiritual stuff. It's got my kind of Western flair. It's got my New York stuff. It's got a lot of dad rock and it can take you, it has the power to take you mentally out of your physical state, which is so important, I think, for patients because one, your your body is going to be talking to you on one level. And then there's all the stuff going on in the hospital that's talking or making noise and you know, resonating around you that sometimes it's just really helpful to to block out that, you know, I'm not saying tune out entirely, but I'm suggesting that if you could take yourself there by way of the music or an audio track, a meditation track, it's so powerful. And I, I think back to, you know, music has been with me my entire life. My sister, Kathy, gave me my first record, which is a, her dinged up copy of Meet the Beatles. And from that day on, and then my brother, John, gave me the Chuck Berry London Sessions um, and Jethro Tell Double double album. You know, we've, we've had music in our family and in our lives as listeners. I don't think anybody's really an accomplished musician, but, uh, you know, we love it. We support it. Uh, love to go out to, to live events. And 
pre-COVID, that was something that we we did a lot of. So when I am in that hospital environment, I was going to say, even beyond music, just as an audio track like uh, waves breaking on a beach, raindrops, that is so helpful when you're recovering from a big surgery. I had one of my initial surgeries was something like a 10-hour or 11-hour table procedure where they cut me in half like a magician's assistant and then sewed me back together. And you know, it was pretty rugged stuff. And they had me in the hospital for five days to recover from that. And I found at night, as quiet as my hospital room was, the equipment would drone. It beeps. It beeps and it's right. And so I keep a list of things, but make sure you have noise canceling headphones. Make sure you have a big playlist of stuff. Make sure you have eye shades. Make sure you have, you know, socks. Make sure you have a good blanket. Make sure you have a teddy bear. Yeah, it's the little things, but they mean so much, right? They they give you some sense of control and hopefully even comfort in what's otherwise a completely alien and potentially uncomfortable environment. I love that. And a couple of things. So first of all, in the Beatles, that's a British rock band we can agree on. And then also, I got to tell you, as an oncologist, I love it when patients bring music, when they even share music with me. I have a bad feeling that in your course of treatment, you probably know the drug oxaliplatin. I hate that stuff. You're in good company there. And uh, I had one patient, it was hilarious. He was hugely into Black Sabbath. And he came back once and he said, Dr. Lewis, oxaliplatin is not my kind of heavy metal. The Sabbath is. And I was like, that is awesome. That is so funny. Well, well played. You would love this. At UCSF Radiation Oncology, I did 15 straight days of radiation treatment last year. And on day one, I walked in and my techs, my nursing techs running the machinery said, do you have some music? And I said, well, well, yes, I do. <laughs> they said, this is part of the setup. I think I went in for, it was like a pre-screen. It was like a, a fitting for the machine. I, it wasn't the actual session, but it was a quick one. But they did give me the heads up. You can bring your own music. So I looked at it like that is going to get me through this 45 minutes every day. I had 15 days of 45-minute playlists. They loved it because they would put me on the machine. And then, as you know, with radiation oncology, they have to go back in the control room. So they said, yeah, as loud as you want in the room. You know, who knows that? Other than somebody that, you know, would say, yes, I have music. I brought some. So, you know, ask your technicians for that and nurses for that little extra what's possible. And you might totally be surprised. For me, it made those 15 days something that we turned it into like a little fundraiser, like, you know, here's the Surf Friday radiation playlist. And anybody that donated got a copy of the playlist. And we just made the best. I say we like to, to make lemonade out of very serious lemons. I love it. You may know this, Mark, but there's plenty of surgeons who listen to music in the operating room. And actually, when I was a medical student, one of my grades and one of my surgical rotations actually hinged on whether or not I knew the opening bars to Freebird by Leonard Skinner. So there's actually more music in medicine, you might realize. But um, from audio to visual, I have heard, and I, I hope this is true, I've heard that you wear a cape to chemo or you have. Can you tell us about that? Oh, that was, uh, oh man. So this is tying in music. I like to also say I've left more body parts in San Francisco than Tony Bennett. And when I went in to donate 70% of my liver, it's high on a hill called Parnassus Hospital. It's where my liver lives now. I went in for that surgery and uh, a friend of mine, a wonderful friend from Seattle, you know, when I, I told him I had cancer and this is going to be awful, but I was going to do my best. And somewhere along the line, the guy sent me 
a Superman onesie, like, you know, kids pajamas. I thought it was the best thing in the world. So I went up to the hospital and I checked in with my cape and my little rolling bag. And I was there for a week. And I was wearing my, by the way, my Conquer Cancer orange special edition Nike sneakers, which are no longer available. I've been through two pairs. I've got those too. Yes. Yes. Those are, those are collector's items. They got to bring them back. I say they got to bring them back. Mark Squared here might have to get together and put some pressure on them. I actually have worn those shoes to clinic. And I'll tell you, it was a patient like you, a really inspiring, super fit stage four colon cancer patient. And she said, Dr. Lewis, next time I come for treatment, I'm going to race you up the stairs. And my office is on the sixth floor. And this is a woman who's going through chemotherapy. So I met her in the lobby. I was wearing my orange conquer cancer shoes because that was only fitting. And she absolutely smoked me. And I love the picture because you know, I'm wearing the orange shoes, but it's also just a testament. And, and I know you live this is that you know, just because you're on treatment, just because you're on chemo even doesn't mean that you can't maintain a very, very high level of, of fitness. And it, it strikes me, you even, even the origin story of your diagnosis, you, you realized you were such a sort of avid cyclist that your cramping was out of the ordinary for you. So let's pivot to that. Do you find exercise? Is that, does that fuel you? Does that help keep you going? I can see even a bike in the background here while we're talking. Yeah, I didn't realize, but my bike cave is now famous by way of this podcast recording. We've got a few. I switched over to pedal assist. So I cheat and I, I say after 53 rounds of chemo, 25 rounds of radiation, four surgeries and one clinical trial, I get a pass. You've earned it. I switched over to an e-bike after the very first big surgery that I mentioned. And 11 weeks after the surgery, I was out with my family doing a fundraising ride with the ostomy bag between chemo rounds. And we did 37 miles with the Sonoma County Backroads Challenge Group. And we raised a lot of money for Conquer Cancer. And it just was wonderful because it got me back out there with others. So staying engaged has been a key part of my approach. Setting the goals to stay out there and stay fit was a key part or has been a key part. And then this idea of being active, this motion and always moving, whether it's walking, riding a bike, has been something that all my doctors have recommended. One very good friend uh, who's a retired faculty member from UCSF, Dr. Ken Sachs, says motion is lotion. He was the head of rheumatology. And he says to me, just keep moving, just keep moving. And when I got sick, you asked about this impact of, or the influence of uh, staying fit on me and uh, music together. I had two questions when I got diagnosed. One was, can I stay on my bike and keep riding? And my doctor said, as long as you feel you can, you should do it. Then there was a caveat. They said, probably don't want to do that while you have the line running out of your chest down to the, the chemo reservoir. Probably don't want to have an accident because, well, then you'd be like a Sonoma County biohazard right on the side of the road. I'll tone that down. But that was really key. And the second question I asked was, can I get cross country to see a live, a live show on Broadway? It was a concert and my wife, Maddie, and my daughter, Natalie, worked with my doctors. They moved heaven and earth in that first 90 days to get me into treatment, get me in a condition, cycle the chemo treatment to the point where they could put me on a plane with them. And they, they literally carried me across the country, you know, like the, the care package, handed me off to my sister who had the golden 
Bruce Springsteen tickets. Oh, there we go. The boss. Yeah. And then we got to see all sorts of family and friends on that. Anyway, coming back to the goals and the fitness, I, I decided early on within that first couple of weeks that I was going to stay on the bike, keep rolling as far as I can, do these fundraising rides, which have kind of fallen by the wayside due to COVID, but continue to ride. And I just, I keep track of all the miles. So I'm closing in on 5,000 miles since the surgeries. Oh, wow. That's amazing, Mark. Wow. It's not just medicine, it's physics, you know, bodies in motion, stay in motion. And I don't know if you know this, there's a phrase in oncology. In fact, if you go back and look at your doctor's notes, you may see it in there. It's called performance status. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but it's oncologist code for how close is the patient to their baseline level of activity? And it's a weird scale where you want to be a zero. You actually want to be where you started. And people like you do better, we know, if they can maintain something close to their you know, pre-cancer fitness. And I think that's just remarkable. And again, I appreciate you sharing that. That's awesome. We try. There, you know, I don't mean to belittle the the bad days or the the slow days. And, you know, I have those too. And I want to be respectful of everybody else that's out there on the mountain with me. I, I just am my heart breaks for people who are brought to their knees and horizontal by way of this disease. And it's not lost to me. Every day I go in and out of that cancer center down in San Francisco or here in Petaluma under my own power. I am always grateful and I always recognize that I'm on the the good side of the care gap. I've got all this advantage and I recognize so many other people that are up against this do not have these resources. So we need to make them more available and more equitable and do whatever we can to keep the breakthroughs coming. I always say I'm, I am where I am in the physical state that I'm in because of the breakthroughs and because of everybody that's come before me to make this path a little smoother for people like me. So you got to give back. Yeah. No, well, thank you for, again, paying it forward. It sounds like you have this recognition of how cancer research, not just as an abstraction, but in your own case has changed your life. And, you know, UCSF is an incredible institution. I think you recognize not only do they adhere to a very high standard of care, but they're also helping us make progress. You know, the other thing you've done here, Mark, not only is, is Team Crafty, a wonderful organization, you're clearly a team player for Conquer Cancer. And I heard there's a there's a neat story about how you learned about the organization in the first place. Do you mind telling our audience about that? Not at all. I look at it like a magical moment. And it really was. I, it was that right in that end of that two-week period where I was going to find out exactly what was going on with my cancer. And one thing I probably didn't mention was, did I mention the fires? I live in Northern California. So while all of this was going down, Santa Rosa, just 20 miles to the north of me, had burned a good portion of it, was charred and incinerated. So here we had the sky smoking and I've got cancer. And I mean, it was like the world was ending. The apocalypse, yeah. It really was. But as I drove up to my first CT PET scan or PET CT scan, I was driving through, we finally got some rain and I was driving through this misty rain approaching what was truly the last building standing from the fires, which was where they were doing the imaging at the round barn facility in Santa Rosa. And as I approached, there was this rainbow that came out in the sky and pointed at that building. And I thought, yeah, this might not be so bad. But then it was a little bit more like a Harry Potter trip because I pulled into the parking lot and the parking lot was taped off in yellow and all the trees were burned approaching the entrance to this building. And I walked in. How atmospheric, yeah. 
And it was my first exposure to a waiting room of cancer patients. And you can imagine on the heels of the fire, people who were there for treatment were really in tough shape, those that needed it most. So I was sitting there and I'm thinking, how did I get here? I'm not supposed to be here. You know, it was like a movie moment. Like, is this really my life? And, you know, I'd seen the rainbow and then I got called into the back and my technician, I kid you not, my technician's name was Angel. Probably a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. The nurse practitioner that was running the machine explained that the machine was her baby. It was a brand new PET CT machine and it had survived the fire. She said, my house didn't survive it, but my baby did. And I thought, wow, I am really in this special hands here. Like this is, this doesn't happen to everybody. And then a few days later, I sat down with Dr. Marsland to review the results of that PET scan. And he walked into the room and again, like the rainbow, like Angel, the machine that survived the fire, he was wearing on his white lab coat, that little tiny lapel pin that says conquer. And I stopped him and I said, I got to ask about that. Can you explain it to me? It feels like that's a word I really need to connect with right now and understand. Please, what's that about? And then he opened the doors. And to me, that was like the first hit of orange power. Like the skies opened up. I realized there are more people on this mountain than just me. It was the first sign of, I explained to a few other friends at some point that when you get that cancer diagnosis, it's like everything goes dark. You're disoriented. You don't know what which way is up. But if you give yourself a little time and a little perspective and somehow or another you can hang on to some sanity, the lights start coming up around you and you realize that there are angels on this earth ready to help you out and to support you. And in my case, Conquer Cancer was the first one through that door with that little beacon in the way of that pin. And with what I had done with Salesforce and fundraising rides, I immediately recognized I could help. So that afternoon I went home and I started the, I knew the whole machinery behind the peer-to-peer fundraising and how you could start your own. And how, so I formed Team Crafty and the first fundraiser that afternoon. It's kind of like, what was it? How was the rest of the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Kind of moment. It was stage four cancer. It really sucked. And they said, we're going to do the best that we can with this. And Dr. Marsden worked with my team at UCSF. And we put together a plan that four years, three months later, it's still working. We're using the tools that we have, the chemo, the radiation, and the surgery, and now clinical trials to keep my cancer at bay. We looked at those first three, like, those are the tools that we can use to get you to a sandbar. And then we can wait. It's a time game. We can wait for a breakthrough to come through that's right for you. We tried one last year. I think we're at the juncture where we can say it didn't work, but it doesn't block me out of other opportunities for future clinical trials. So again, I come back and say, I am the most fortunate, most grateful cancer patient you're probably ever going to run across. And if I can give some hope and share that back to people, that seems to be what this experience is for me. And it's become kind of a mission. And that really comes across, Mark. And, and boy, I mean, talk about signs and wonders when you went for your first PET CT. And you know, just the way you describe your experience, your words are so rich with with figurative language and metaphors. You've talked a couple of times about the mountain. That's clearly a helpful visualization for you. And I think you're also you know, gracious to realize that sometimes when when we're at a peak, you know, someone else is, a, is at a trough. 
So do you have, and I, th- I think I know, I think it's a hopeful one, but you know, do you have a message for other folks that are going through cancer and realizing that this uh, podcast is going to hit people at different stages in their experiences? Or do you think there is a one message that you would share? I think so. I think it's hope and gratitude. And those two things for me are the guardrails for this whole path that when I came out of that very first big surgery, you wouldn't typically think about it this way, but when you're in the hospital and you're recovering, you actually do have a lot of time alone. And if you're like me, they make you walk around a lot. Anybody been through that's been through the magician's assistant routine? Getting cut in half? Yeah, getting cut in half. You got to make sure the legs work. So I spent a lot of time walking around. You spend a lot of time alone. And I had this alone time at UCSF, which is just this magical place. And they have something called the hope and gratitude wall that decorates many walls of the hospital down there. But there's one big primary wall. And I think it was back in 2016 or 2015, they had seven or 800 patients and staff, small, four, what would look like three by three canvas panels with their message for other patients. And I could spend hours looking at that because every panel represented a patient and a caregiver and a cancer journey. They've laid these out under this message of hope and gratitude. So I always say, keep the hope alive because there are people like you and healthcare heroes and angels in the medical community everywhere working on solutions for us, the patients. And we should be so grateful for people like you and everybody in the healthcare community and everybody who's come before us on the cancer path that's made our path a little bit smoother. So hope and gratitude is the message. Well, right back at you, Mark. I actually have a message I think will resonate with you. So you mentioned, of course, and I'm so sorry, again, that you lost your mother to pancreas cancer. So I lost my dad to cancer when he was 49, but he wrote something really powerful that still motivates me. And and what he wrote was that the crisis of cancer affords the opportunity now, however brief or lengthy, to discard the trivial and the shallow and to fill every moment in relationship with meaning, intensity, and value. And that just, that comes across in what you say and in what you do. And gosh, I'm having a a cold play moment right here. Now, just to share, just share our stories with one another and, and specifically to share your story with our audience is just so powerful. You've described all these different aspects of your life, you know, your cycling and your fitness, your music, your humor, your teamwork. Are these all the ways that you are conquering cancer? I would say yes. And with a lot of love, I've got this incredible nuclear unit in, uh, my wife, Maddie, my daughter, Natalie, who's overseas, we've got her in college and she's pursuing her dreams. We try to keep moving forward despite what cancer represents as a dark cloud in our lives. And we are forever grateful for everybody that's gathered around us in the way of support. So I take a holistic approach to it. And I think that the key message beyond hope and gratitude that I would pass on to other folks is ask for help. It's out there. When you need it most, it's there. When you don't think it's there, it's there. Uh, This is such a a difficult path and it's easy to get caught up in your own head trash, if you will, over, I can't share, I can't talk about it, I can't 
open up about this or that. But when you do, I do believe that the, the good things come back to you in exponential power. That's embodied in my case. And when I speak with healthcare professionals about what we've been able to accomplish, if I were to get hit by a steamroller tomorrow, walking out on the street, looking the wrong way, and it all ended tomorrow, this would still be just a phenomenal success story about conquering cancer and living with it as a chronic illness, as opposed to living with it as a terminal sentence, if you will. Yeah, that's such an important paradigm shift for so many patients to conceive of it, just like you said. Well, Mark, I hope you'll accept my membership application to Team Crafty. I am absolutely rooting for you. Like you said, it's both cathartic to share your own story. I felt that too, but I I think it's also really helpful. And I just so appreciate you opening up and and talking to us and and talking to our listeners. Thank you, Mark. This has been so great. And again, I'm honored by the opportunity, grateful for the opportunity, my family and I thank you. And you are by all means, full-fledged member of Team Crafty. That comes with some gear. Yes. There will be Hope Bears, Hope Bears and Root to your location. We decided that we would pass out Hope Bears to our team and to our acquaintances with the idea that it's a way to spread some hope in a nice way. And for me personally, to pass them on to people in the healthcare community really makes a big difference because you've given us so much hope. It's a way for us to give some back. Yeah, it's a beautiful circle. Believe me, it just reinforces itself. So I will look out for that and I'll have to get my uh, orange shoes out as well. All right. Thank you. You bet, Mark. Well, thank you. And thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the ASCO Foundation. For doctor-approved patient information, please visit cancer.net, which is supported in part by Conquer Cancer Doctors. Conquer Cancer is creating a world where cancer is prevented or cured and every survivor is healthy. You can help by donating now at conquer.org forward slash podcast. The participants of this podcast report no conflicts of interest relevant to the content of this podcast. Full disclosures can be found on the episode page on conquer.org. ASCO and Conquer Cancer, the ASCO Foundation, would like to recognize Helsin, our inaugural Conquer Cancer Vision Impact Supporter. We are grateful to all our donors whose support funds key mission activities and helps create a world where cancer is prevented or cured and every survivor is healthy. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. This is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Guest statements on the podcast do not express the opinions of ASCO. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an ASCO endorsement.